か地獄の軍団我らを狙う黒い影世界の平和を守るため Go! Go! Let's go! 輝くマシンガーチャンライダーキー仮面ライダー仮面ライダーライダーライダー Welcome to the final episode of Rider Break for 2012. I'm your host, Eagle Devil, and this, conveniently enough, is episode 12. One of the things I enjoy most about doing these podcasts is hearing from you guys and what you think about particular topics that I cover, or even just taking gentle questions and discussion ideas. I like hearing from you and learning more about what sorts of things you'd like to hear from me. So I thought for this episode, I'd once more turn it over to the listeners out there. As with previous times I've done this, I expected I'd get maybe a couple questions, like five or six, but you guys really rose to the challenge and gave me over 30. So, this will no doubt be a longer episode, but hey, you're probably going to need something to listen to while recovering from New Year's Eve. So,、uh, I hope you enjoy. Also, just to tell you now, I may possibly get into spoilers for various series and movies in this episode. I'll do my best to point out which ones in the show notes. Also, I want to apologize in advance to all the kind people who submitted great questions. Because I'm probably going to horribly butcher your names and completely fail to give a coherent answer. With that said, let's get to it. Alright, so first off, we have some questions from Tumblr. And to start, a very talented artist, Frobman, asks What's your greatest Kamen Rider experience and favorite toku other than Kamen Rider? My greatest Kamen Rider experience. This is going to sound really cheesy, but it's completely true. It's the people I've met and the friends that I've made by being a Kamen Rider fan. Over the years, online and off, there's been many people that to this day I count as great friends, and being into Kamen Rider played a part in how I met them. In America, in Japan, all over the world, people I've never even met or spoken to. Outside of text, people that I have met in person, or at least over Skype or whatnot, even people who aren't necessarily fans but took an interest in me because I took an interest in something that they knew about or could at least relate to in some way. And really, everything kind of ties back to that because I was a fan and because I got involved in writing about Common Rider Online. And people showed that they were interested in what I thought. And that really pushed me to keep going and keep exploring new corners of Kamen Rider. In a way, it even kind of influenced me to do what I do now in learning Japanese and going to Japan and continuing to meet new people who remember me because of what I like. Just the other night, I met up with an old friend from back when I studied in Kobe. And、uh, his host family. And the dad, who I met back then and, and got to reunite with this time, every time I went over there, he would always be looking forward to talking with me because he grew up on the old shows and just thinks it's amazing that there's this American guy who knows them inside and out. And because I've made so many friends doing this, 
I've been able to do things like meet the actors and actresses from the show or go to the places where they were filmed or just learn so much more than I ever would on my own. And uh, who knows, maybe someday I'll get to actually be in Kamen Rider because I've made the right connections, but we'll just have to see. Uh, so yeah, I, I would have to say that the best experience for me is the people that you meet and the, the friends that you make uh, from being a fan. As for favorite tokusatsu other than Kamen Rider, it kind of depends on the mood I'm in, but the two top sort of constants for me are the original Ultra 7 and Kikaider Zero One. Ultra 7 is a show that both my dad and I really love, along with all the other classic Ultras, but I think 7 in particular really resonates uh, because it really was a revolutionary show. The depth and complexity of the stories, which were still standalone and episodic, kind of done in one, but they, they had these themes and these sort of moral questions that they would bring up that were really mind-blowing stuff for the time. And even now, I mean, it's a very uh, influential show on a lot of other tokusatsu, and in, it really is ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Uh, it's got simple but very likable characters, and the designs of the monsters and aliens and the mecha, the vehicles and everything are really cool. The action scenes are unique in that sometimes there's not a whole lot of action, and Seven himself only shows up for a little bit, but it's always really cool when he does. And when they do go all out for an action scene, they're always very memorable and creative uh, one of my favorites is in Episode 8, the battle against Metron Seijin, which has been referenced to hell and back by later Ultraman shows and, and probably a lot of other things. Uh, there's an episode of Ultraman Max that's a direct sequel to that episode, and, and that episode, actually, the Max one, is my favorite Ultraman episode of all time. Uh, to go back to Seven, the music in particular, I think Seven just had an incredible soundtrack, and I listen to it all the time. Um, yeah, it's just a really fun, really well-made show, and I think it's it's one of those ones that it definitely earns its status as a classic. It's A lot of people consider it their favorite Ultraman, or the best Ultraman, or one of the best. You know, when it comes to things like the best, that's always up for debate, but I, I would definitely call it my favorite Ultra series. Now, Kikaider Zero One is interesting in that I will readily agree it's got flaws, and it's not as well put together as its more famous predecessor. Everybody tends to say the original Kikaida was great, and Zero One is kind of the not bad, but it's you know it's not as good as the original. And I'd agree with that up to a point. If you read the very long Ishinomori Week article that I wrote about it, I went into pretty exhaustive detail on the specifics of of what it does right and what it doesn't, and, and all that. But for me. Personally, once the show gets to about episode 30, things change. Now, everything before that is still lots of fun and still watchable, so I'm not saying, like, it doesn't get good until episode 30. Not like that, no. But, from episode 30 on, uh, when the show brings in the character of Bajinda and later Waruda, I think it really becomes some of the strongest character-based writing that I've ever seen in tokusatsu. Uh, the plots are rudimentary at best, really pretty simple. But that doesn't matter. 
the characters and how they relate to each other and how they interact and the journeys that they take are just so fascinating to watch. Waruda, uh, I think I said back then, he's a really unique kind of character that I haven't seen too many like him. And I just love how his story plays out. His last episode is fantastic. Bajinda is arguably the best tokusatsu heroine of the 70s. You know, I say this as someone who is a huge fan of Tackle and Momo Ranger from Go Ranger. But the show really depicts her as not only very powerful and very important. I mean, it, it focuses a lot of plot lines around her when she shows up. But she's also a very complex character. And they go into great detail about the, the moral dilemma that she faces of choosing to be either good or evil. Uh, because it's not a choice that she can just make very lightly. Unless you think I'm forgetting him, Kikaido Zero One himself really comes into his own as the series goes along, uh, being more than just Kikaido's brother. And not to promote myself too much, but again, in that article, I went into why, for me, the Zero One version of Hakaido, the sort of main villain of the Kikaido universe, the constant kind of reoccurring main rival character. Uh, for me, the Zero One version that's where my whole concept of what the character is all about comes from. Like, that's my version of Hakaider, I guess you could say. Uh, but I could literally talk about this show for hours, and I do have a lot of other questions to get to, so... Yeah, Kikaider Zero One and Ultra Seven, both great shows. Okay, the next one comes from Who Took Witty URL I Hate You. Uh, <laughs> which secondary writers would be best suited to carry their own show? The correct answer is Zolda, of course. Um, yeah, a Zolda show would be a lot of fun, because it'd be like Law & Order, Kamen Rider. I could get behind that. As far as carrying their own show, I think as long as they're on the good side of the fence, it'd be pretty easy to do it with most of them. And by that I mean as long as they're not a straight-up evil or, or a vicious killer or something like that. You could do a show around just about any one of the secondary riders, I think, going all the way back to... Well, if you want to go all the way back and go to Rider 2, who did have his own show, basically, or Rider Man, uh, but just sticking with the more modern series, Gills and G3X and so on and so forth. To use Zolda, for example, I think he's interesting because he's kind of a morally dubious person at times, but he's still a good guy. And he had Goro to act as his conscious. So I think you could do a great show about a writer like him who goes from this kind of standoffish, you know, almost like a Scrooge-type character who's just self-serving and self-interested. And he becomes someone who is really genuine and, and caring about others. And the change comes because of who he associates with. I think that's something we haven't really seen up to this point. Usually the main rider is the one who kind of changes people around him. Maybe, you know, they change and affect uh, him in some way, but he's usually kind of the center, and, and everyone orbits around him in a way. You know, I'm just thinking of characters like Godai or Tendo, uh, where they are very much at the center of sort of the the character development and the change in their shows. They are they are hands-on in, in that area of it. 
And now, plus, with Isolde show, you could work in the legal or courtroom drama aspect, and then it, it practically writes itself from there. I think uh, the only problem with that is you would have to kind of recast Oja as instead of being a psychotic criminal, he has to be Zolda's rival lawyer because that would be so much fun to watch them <laughs> going at it in the courtroom. And then they turn to rioters and fight each other too. But I guess he could be kind of like a psychopath in secret or something. You could do it that way. Uh, would kids like it? I don't know, but I think if a secondary writer gets a spin-off, it's probably going to be aimed mainly at fans like the XL and Eternal movies were, so yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about that part. Um, speaking of which, I would love to see an XL birth meteor team up, which would sort of be like the reverse rebirth Megamax. That was a two-in-one reference there, by the way. I think it'd be interesting to see them together, uh, would they get along as well as Double O's and Forze? Who knows, but maybe the next movie war will have them helping out Beast or something. Okay, next up, Yui Oshi 48 asks, I'm sure you touched on this before, but how do you feel about the new old heroes? Any Ishinomori villains who should get remade? Also, which movie-only writers would you like to see get specials like Eternal did? Okay, I like the new old heroes thing in principle, though I feel like they could be doing a lot more with it. I went into this back in the Ultimatum episode, uh, but I think they do a great job of bringing the characters back and putting a new spin on them, while also remaining faithful to who they are. I like uh, with Kyodine and Nakamazer, I really liked how they did them in the movie, referencing things from their show and and their characteristics and stuff like that. That was cool. Uh, though, there is still a part of me that wishes they'd remember the hero aspect. And that's why I think Inazuman and Poitrine really turned out well, because they remembered that and they kept them heroic. Uh, even then, a lot of people, including Sakamoto himself, I believe, have brought up the idea that someday seeing these characters all together would be really cool. But I think to do that, they need to kind of move away from the idea of bringing back these characters as villains who look like old heroes and act like old heroes because that's exciting and that gets attention to literally just doing new takes on the old heroes and establishing them as characters who exist in the bigger Kamen Rider universe and who can come back in the future. Which they sort of did in Ultimatum with Nazaman anyway. I... I really be interested to see if he ever comes back, though. Uh, I'm not counting on it, but who knows. As for villains, that ties into it. Uh, I'd much rather see a new Hokkaider than just an evil guy who kind of looks like Hokkaider, partly because that was already done in the Mechanical Violator Hokkaider movie, and, you know, that was cool there, but uh, also because I think we're just long overdue for a Hokkaido return, and he really is one of the most recognizable tokusatsu villains. I mean, the guy in Superhero Tyson, Biohunter Silver, is very much patterned after Hokkaido in at least, you know, the sort of the, the silhouette of his design and his obsession with destruction and all that. And, and he was a really cool character, too. Uh, but again, it's it's taking a, a page from Hokkaido. I mean, he's kind of the original version of that character, I guess you could say, so I'd, I'd just, I'd really like to see him return. Him or uh, Udespar from Inazuma and Flash, he was really cool. And as for movie-only writers getting their own specials, 
Uh, Aqua and Nadesco are at the top of my list. Nadesco nearly steals the show in Ultimatum, and I think her characterization in that shows that there's still a lot more you can do with her beyond what we've seen so far. She's still got a few more surprises beyond just being sort of the girl version of Forze, and I'd like to see that developed. Aqua, I just really love that guy in Mega Max, uh, so I'd like to see more from him. I'd be interested to see what things are like in his future world, or even if he's time-traveling around. Speaking of which, I'd also happily watch more new Deno, although I feel they should work towards giving him his own supporting cast so he can carve out more of his own identity. And you can still have the old Deno character show up, but just in, in a smaller role and give him a new bunch of people to run around with and maybe kind of his own subplot, I guess, of sorts that you could work in through future movie appearances. Uh, Maybe they can do a movie with all three of them together. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, next we have Rising7, who has three questions. First, how would you plot a Nigo world for a decade? Would Hongo or a stand-in character be needed? Okay, I think I would take the approach of what would Kamen Rider be like if Hongo didn't exist and Ichimanji was the first rider? Because to me, one of the defining parts of Ichimanji's character across basically every version, be it the TV show or the comic or even Kamen Rider the First, is that his meeting with Hongo is a major turning point for the character. It's where he goes from being this guy at least according to Comrade Spirits for the TV show, uh, was kind of, a, kind of a goofball. I mean, he's a goofball on the show, too, but he's really a, a goofball up until this point where he meets Hongo and, and becomes a truly heroic character. Because, yeah, the TV story was fleshed out in Comrade Spirits, and it was the story as we see there, and what had always kind of been the story for many years, was that Hongo saves Ichimanji, who was originally made to fight him. And you see a bit more of this idea in the Ishinomori comic in the first, where through his pursuit of Hongo, he invariably has to switch sides. In the comic, he like gets shot in the head accidentally, and then come on the first, he turned good <laughs> somehow, magic. But yeah, I, I guess you'd really have to do something where you either had no Hongo character at all, and Ichimanji becomes Rider 2 under completely different circumstances. Or you could do something where Decade himself has to fulfill the role of Hongo in the traditional Rider 2 story. And then you'd get a really interesting dynamic of having a younger Heisei Rider suddenly be kind of the mentor figure, like the senior figure, to one of the oldest and greatest riders of all time. That would be just crazy to see. I don't know how they'd pull it off, but it would be uh, interesting. Okay, next. What classic bad guys or Ishinomori heroes are ripe to be shown as a major threat and or revamped for superhero Tyson Z or similar effort? As far as Ishinomori heroes go, once more, uh, I'd be interested to see a new heroic Kaider and a Hakaider to go along with him. Or a new take on Robot Detective would be pretty cool. That's something I've wanted to see for a while. I don't know if they ever would, but I'd actually like it if they acknowledged the classic versions, too. Although, just off the top of my head, I don't know how they do that and still keep it simple enough for kids and the rest of us to follow. 
especially because they're kind of shying away from the alternate universe thing these days. But I don't know. It'd, it'd be pretty cool to see them acknowledge both the old ones and the new ones. For other villains in Superhero Tyson, I really want to see more old Sentai bad guys come back. Now, I know the tricky thing there is a lot of the major ones were unmasked actors. But I feel like if they were willing to return uh, and we can handle Narutaki as Dr. G, I think we can handle a slightly older actor returning to reprise an 80s or 90s Sentai villain. There's also plenty of old monsters they could recreate like they've been doing for the Riders, and I'd like to see more of those. As far as just general Rider villains to bring back, I think the next logical step is going to be Martial Armor. I love Baron Fang and Archbishop Wing, but I think everybody kind of agrees that after Dr. G, Martial Armor is the most famous. Now, then the question in my mind is, who is Gok's biggest rival? Because they should get that guy to play Martial Armor. Okay, and lastly, when it comes to a classic character's return, do you prefer to keep it to its original look or get reinvented? For the Riders, I prefer keeping the classic look because that's what became famous in the first place, and whatever you think of the old Rider designs, you can't deny that without them, we wouldn't have the designs we have now because every Rider has basis in its predecessors, and eventually you're going to reach a point where you keep going back to the very beginning. So, you know, each one has in some way inspired the next one. Uh, also, I think Mega Max is pretty much the final proof that it's really not the costume, it's what you do with it. If you show us the old guys in a new, interesting way, doing the kind of awesome stuff that they do there, then it doesn't matter how old it is. Because age is really just a fact of life. I mean, everything's going to get old and look old and look different to whatever is current at some point. But that's what's cool about putting the old and new stuff together. You get to see the changes and you get to see the evolution of an idea. Um, you know, to put it more bluntly, you can't take the 1970s out of a 1970s writer, but you can take him out of the 1970s simply by putting him in the 2000s and letting him cut loose and, and doing awesome things with him like they did in that movie. Now, I will say that I think they should redo parts of the classic Rider costumes that they have now, because in a lot of ways, I think the 70s and 80s versions actually looked a lot better. Like Rider 1 and 2 back then, uh, they still had the padded chest armor, but it was a lot more concave and flexible looking compared to what they have now. And it's actually supposed to be joined at the edges along uh, their suit not just kind of stuck on, which I think is how it, it often looks uh, in the movies now. So it's not so much a matter of redesign as just using new materials and, and remaking parts and getting everything a bit closer to how they really looked back in the day. I mean, basically, you know, look at Kamara's spirits, look at how the writers are there, and use that as your model. Uh, I think you could do some really cool things, like give... Rider 1 and 2, the sort of more leathery-looking suit that they've got there, which they sometimes had in the old shows. Because uh, now they're using its fabric, I think, and it's, it's very close to the attraction show suits. And it works okay, but I think you could really do some cool things just by spending a little bit more money on them and, and making them look as close as possible to 
both how they looked back in the 70s, but also a really sort of idealized, perfected version of the costume. Uh, although, again, I feel like everybody looked a bit better in Megamax, and I think part of that was there was more care in the casting of the right suit actors. Because if you look at Stronger in Superhero Tyson, the guy in the suit is just way too short, and he's really kind of getting lost in it. Whereas in the opening of Mega Max, you've got Takaiwa himself suit-acting Stronger, and he looks awesome. Stronger's supposed to be one of the tallest riders, uh, so you want to get a big guy for him. Uh, but okay, all right, to wrap this one up, for stuff like the Ishinomori Heroes, uh, I've been okay with the redesigns because they're supposed to be new versions or different characters, so it makes sense. But if you're going to have the original versions, I would just want to see the original costumes and, and do it like they do the Seven Riders in Mega Max. Basically what I just said about, like, if you were going to bring back Kikaider and it was original Kikaider, voiced by Bond, Daisuke, and all that, uh, I would really like to see something close to sort of the idealized version of Kikaider in my head, which is the, the leathery-looking suit that they would use in the close-up sometime really detailed electronics in the head and everything. I mean, he could, could look awesome, you know, and, and without changing a whole lot about the design. I think it'd be really cool. Uh, but if it's going to be a new version, then, you know, go crazy. Do a new costume. Set him apart from the old one. Make him different. As for villains, I tend to be okay with redesigns for them because they change a lot anyways. Like, someone like the Great Leader looks different every time he shows up. So you can really go to town with him. Apollo Geist, even before Decade, had two costumes in the show, and then the SD Riders version was a pretty radical redesign, uh, and he was cool. And I like the Decade one a lot, so, you know, there you go. Uh, or again, even if it's a very different character, like Ginga O oh in Mega Max, where I love the new look. I love the original one too, but the new one had such a different story and put a new stamp on it, that it really worked for me, giving them such a different and, and unique visual. The villains, you can kind of do whatever you want with, I think. <laughs> okay, next we have Godzilla 606. What do you think would work for the next Kamen Rider series? Um, I can't even begin to guess what direction they'll go from here, though uh, since we have a more mystical rider right now, I think... We're going to get something more technology-oriented next. Uh, but it's really too early to say. If it were up to me right now, like right here right now, I got to decide what the theme of the 2013 Rider would be, I would say it'd be interesting to see something that involved either 3D or holograms, uh, just because I would really like to see how they pull that off. I have no idea how. Maybe they could do like holographic discs or something. I really don't know, but... They'll come up with something, I'm sure. Okay, next we have Bookish Delight, who says, Hi, Devil. Love your reviews and podcast. Decade was initially pushed as arguably Toei's biggest rider crossover vehicle, but over time it seems they've been making him obsolete with alternate ways for riders to meet. Superhero Tyson did him few favors, we won't even talk about the end, and now he just feels even more out of place. Do you think there's any way for Decade to regain relevance in this newly fused Rider universe? Keep up the great work. Uh, thank you. As for Decade, I think, in a way, Superhero Tyson really kind of exposed the biggest problem with the character 
uh, in a conceptual sense, especially by putting him up against Gokaiger, where he's really only the anniversary guy for a part of Kamen Rider. Gokaiger celebrated all of Super Sentai up to that point. Uh, now, they tried to sort of remedy this by giving Decade the power to become Rider 1, but as I've said elsewhere, they throw that idea away so quickly, you wonder why they even bothered, other than because, well, Gokai Red can become Maka Ranger, so there we go. At the same time, though, I think you had to have Decade take a prominent role in that movie, because he's really the only one who could be Gokai Red's arch-nemesis, and he's the only writer that I think you could buy in that role. At the end of the movie, Captain Marvelous makes the whole buddy handshake with Eiji, because their shows were on at the same time, that kind of thing. But I don't think anyone really would have bought it if AG turned evil, not after his own series dealing with that. And then you had him in stuff like O's Wonderful and Mega Max, where he's, you know, at some of the most heroic you'll ever see a common Rider. And Skasa still has that slightly untrustworthy side to him, where you can believe he would turn bad. Although, now that he's done it like three times, you know, even though he was faking it, I think we all just really want to see a movie where Decade is a good guy start to finish. I think one way for Decade to become relevant again is for them to sort of overhaul the character's powers and make him a bit more like Gokaiger in terms of being a representative of all Kamen Rider. So almost taking the Black RX route. In a way, giving new life to an old character. Or maybe doing something where he can use various rider powers via his cards without necessarily having to become the riders. I don't know. Uh, or you could take the approach of Z-Cross, where the fact that he was the 10th rider was really just for his origin story. And he's got sort of a greater purpose beyond that, in that he's also the original ninja rider. And there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with him as the ninja rider. With Decade, it's tougher because almost all his powers are tied into becoming other riders, and even then only a select few. Like going back to Gokaiger. If you took away the anniversary aspect and the whole Gokai change thing, they've still got the pirate theme going on and all the cool stuff that they can do with their regular weapons. I guess Decade still has his own sort of respective cards, and there's the Dimensional Traveler side to him. Uh, which brings me finally to sort of the point of the question, which is now that the Rider worlds are all kind of... Now that we're, we're working with this everything-happened-in-one-universe idea, how does Decade fit into that? I think you'd really kind of have to tell Decade's last story as Decade in a way, in the sense of he crash lands into this universe, this united universe, which is, you know, Earth Prime or whatever you want to call it, Rider World Prime, and kind of has to find his place in the world now of, of the fact that he's not dealing with alternate universes and stuff like that anymore, and he's dealing with the real canon TV shows and all that, and, and what does he do? Because all the writers that he encountered, for the most part, in his own show, you kind of got the sense that they were supposed to be either rookies or still fairly new at this. Or even in the case of his version of Black RX and Black, 
uh, a bit more kind of hot-headed than what we're used to. Like, I think if Decade comes into contact with the actual Blade or the the actual Kiva, and I don't mean the actors and, and the versions that appeared in his show. I mean the ones that were on the TV shows that we all know and love. It'd be really different, you know? It, it wouldn't... I mean, just imagine Skasa and Tendo in the same room together, you know? It, <laughs> it'd either be awesome or a nightmare. I don't know, but... Yeah, I just, I feel like in order for the character to still kind of have relevance as far as, as being the anniversary guy and being this sort of uniter of common writers and, and the guy who crossovers are centered around and all that, you do have to do something with him. Now, I don't know, the 15th anniversary of the Heisei Riders is going to be coming up in a couple of years, so that would probably be a good time to do something with Decade. I was thinking you could even do something where, like, he becomes a mentor figure for the writer in that show who would not be exactly the same as he is, but have some connection to all the writers that happened after Decade. You know, Double O's, Forze Wizard, and whoever comes out this year. Uh, and you could give Decade a big role in that show somehow and do a bit more with him and, and how he relates back to the writers before Kuga, because I think that's what Kamen Rider really needs right now, is somebody who kind of covers all the writers uh, all the way back to the original. Uh, Forze sort of did that. O's kind of does it at times. Deno, maybe, but we don't have anybody like Okaiger. That's sort of what I'm getting at. Uh, Gokaiger really was one of the best things that ever happened to Sentai in terms of uh, the anniversary aspect, anyway. Now, when Sentai reaches 50 years, we'll have to see how it works, but at least for right now, uh, Gokaiger, they've still got some mileage left in them. Whereas with Decade, yeah, I, I do feel like we're starting to see him kind of become a little uh, irrelevant in some ways. I mean, there's already been four writer series after him. I don't know. I, I do hope that they do something interesting with him, because I like him a lot. I'd like to see him come back, but it's really hard to say right now. Okay, next up, Turthna asks, Back when you did that retrospective episode on Ryuki, I found myself disappointed when you spend most of the time talking about how the fandom reacted to the show rather than the show itself. I suppose then my question for the next writer break is, what are your thoughts about the show itself? What did you think it did right? What did you think it did wrong? And how do you think it compares with Dragon Knight? Okay, well, first off, don't worry. I will most definitely talk about Ryuki again and go more in-depth on parts of the show itself. The retrospective episode I did this year was kind of necessary for me because you really have to understand where I'm coming from on Ryuki, probably more than with any other show. Because uh, the bottom line is, I enjoyed Ryuki when it was first on, and that was a time when it wasn't particularly fashionable to do so in some parts of the fandom. It was a really divisive show. And it was a big turning point for me as a fan, and it's where I started to become a lot more self-assertive and open-minded about stuff, about what I liked and about my views. So, no, it wasn't a retrospective in the conventional sense, I'll admit that. Uh, but it was something I really wanted to talk about, and I felt I needed to sort of get out there. You know, of course, by now you're all saying, yeah, that's great, Eagle Devil, but what do you think of the show already? 
Okay. The answer to that is, I like Ryuki a lot. It is one of those shows like Hibiki or Decade where I think they knew going into it it was going to be a little controversial. Uh, it's a very experimental show and sets the precedent for a number of things that later shows had, such as the move towards collectible gimmicks, multiple writers who share a common origin and underlying design, and I think a somewhat more cynical view of the world that really kind of characterizes the next couple of shows. Now, Kuga and Agito weren't all smiles and sunshine, but I think they also tended to hold a, a somewhat more positive view of humanity, which darkened over the course of Agito. And then I think Ryuki really pushed the idea that it's a cruel, unfair world, and someone like Shinji is often shown to be kind of a hopeless idealist. In the end, the writer war and everything, it's, it's bigger than he is, and it kind of crushes him. I mean, even though he does ultimately win in the end, in a way, in a very abstract way, uh, it comes at a price, as you know if you've watched the show. Most of the characters who aren't evil, crazy, or a combination thereof really aren't in a position to do much of anything about what's going on. Uh, there is still a good versus evil story, but I think good doesn't so much win as it, it just sort of metaphorically survives at the end, and that's a major theme of the show, of about survival. Uh, and the show does have some great themes and great character-based moments and the whole interaction of how Shinji influences Ren. And even Kitaoka, although I've always said I would have liked to have seen that taken further. Uh, like I said earlier, to me, Zoldo was never a bad guy. He was a morally dubious guy, but his heart was always in the right place, and I would have liked to see them push that further to make him a really good hero by the end. There's the whole show's motto of you must fight to survive and all that, and characters are questioning why they should fight and how to stop the fight and things like that. That's That was all really cool. I really like the designs of the riders, uh, and even the monsters who aren't usually the kind of style I like in Kamen Rider, but they worked in that show. Uh, they were really cool there. I love the music and the visuals of the opening. Some of the special effects, whenever they do the mirror stuff, like going in and out of the mirrors, uh, I think they hold up pretty well uh, for really kind of early CGI now, primitive in some ways, but uh, they did some pretty cool stuff. I think that the attention to detail that they had when they were in the mirror world of flipping everything around and backward signs and all that, that could be pretty cool. I like the card gimmick, although I think they did improve on it with the later shows. Like I think Blade really did the cards well, but in Ryuki they were pretty cool for the first time. Especially considering going into it, we were all kind of worried it was going to be really bad. Like, will he have to put a card in every time he punches and every time he kicks? And No, it, it was much more fluid than that. But, uh, there's yeah, there's a lot of things to like about the show. It, it did a lot of things right overall, I would say. And it was, it was very important as another kind of evolutionary step in Kamen Rider. Now, it does have problems, and one of the biggest ones to me is that they never got all 13 riders into the show, uh, which is one of the original selling points. 
And I know some have theorized that if you count the alternatives or the multiple Odins or Goro becoming Zolda, it works out, but I don't know. I, I just I, I would have liked to have seen at least Verde in the show and then maybe Femme and Ryuga in sort of a cameo or something. Another thing, and this is one that both my dad and I felt watching back in 2002-2003, is that the mirror world is a really cool idea that it's ultimately just kind of the stage where the action takes place. Uh, But we don't really get that deep into the science of it. So what I mean is, like, we go from a really kind of sci-fi story to something that's a bit more mystical with the whole idea of the wish and resetting the universe and all that. Uh, And that's cool, but I think I would have liked a bit more exploration into the mirror world and the idea of the mirror duplicates, which they get into in the movie. And that's probably one of the reasons that the movie, uh, I prefer that ending a bit more, although I've grown to like the TV ending too. So, again, not a perfect show, but... A lot, I can admit that a lot of the, the problems I have with it are the flaws. There's sort of things that are more, I think, specific to me and, and what just what I wanted to see out of the show rather than, oh, I just hated this or this was terrible or whatever. Uh, that's not usually how I tend to judge stuff in the end, but that's me. Dragon Knight, I feel, is such a different show. It's actually very hard for me to compare them despite the obvious similarities. Now, I could say there's things that it does better, and there's things that Ryuki does better, but the more I think about it, it becomes less of a better or worse question, and more of a, which did I like more at the time I watched it? Uh, For instance, my gut reaction, if you ask me, is that I like Xavier X more than Kanzaki Shiro as a villain. But then when I actually start thinking about it, there was a lot of stuff Kanzaki did, which was great, uh, villainous behavior. I think the big difference was that we know Kanzaki's got a slightly more noble cause early on, whereas Xaviax is much more of a straight-up villain. But then Kanzaki is arguably worse, since now we're dealing with a life-and-death situation. I mean, his whole manipulation gets people killed. Uh, so there's a lot of ways in which I think he's a, a much more serious threat. But... Um, I don't know. I I think I'll need to think about it. I'm going to try to get around to doing a Dragonite episode at some point. I'll go more in depth. But I think the short version is I like both shows a lot for different reasons, and it's very hard for me to say conclusively that I like one more than the other. So it's kind of like two great tastes that taste completely different despite being made of the same stuff. Uh, I don't know. But hopefully that answers your question. Okay, now a cool guy asks, How aware do you feel the production cast for Kamen Rider is about their international audience, since knowledge about Kamen Rider is essentially purely word of mouth from the internet? From what I know, it's minimal. There are people on the production side that know of Kamen Rider fans outside Japan, though I think that's the extent of it. It doesn't really get to the point of them knowing how many fans there are, what sites they're on, and such. They know we exist. Uh, I think that's all. But this is just me guessing, since I don't really know, or if I do know, I can't really say. I would love to get a chance to talk with some of the people on the current production team about what they know, though. Um, But wouldn't we all?
Yeah, there's there's not really a whole lot more I can say about that one, I'm afraid. Okay, and finally from Tumblr, Cap Matches Color asks, What is up with the Rider Carrier from SD Common Riders? I haven't seen it anywhere else, and it intrigues me. All right, the Rider Carrier was the Rider's base from the SD Rider comics, specifically the Mighty Riders ones, uh, which is what the animation one-shot is based on. That was the slightly sillier version. Because uh, there was a more serious comic that I don't remember them having it in that. But anyway, Yutaka, they released a toy version of it for their Mighty Rider series figurines. Uh, which is notable for including SD Kamen Rider J, who I think was the last one they ever did as part of actual SD Riders anyway. I mean, I know they did SD Rider figures of Kuga and so on, but by that point, SD Riders as a, a brand name had pretty much ended. Um, and they did a similar playset for their SD Ultraman figurines that was this kind of space-based looking thing that resembles Ultraman's head. I remember that. Uh, but the Rider one was always pretty cool. And that's actually a toy I don't own. But I suppose if I ever saw it for cheap enough, I would pick it up. Because, yeah, there is something intriguing about that design. And I wonder if it in some way influenced a certain vehicle from Double. Maybe. I don't know. But, yeah, it was it was cool. Okay, well, thanks to everybody on Tumblr who asked questions. And from there, we'll move on to Facebook. Okay, first up, we have Imani Marks who asks, I figured this would be an interesting question to pose. Do you miss the era when we had yearly writer films that served as alternate endings to the shows, like Missing Ace for Blade and Paradise Lost for Fies, as well as Episode Final for Ryuki? Do you like that approach personally? And was there ever a case where you liked the movie more than the series finale? From what I remember, Missing Ace is considered the canon ending of Blade. And what do you think of those films as writer films in general? Okay, uh, I think for the Missing Ace is considered the canon ending part. I believe I said that. Uh, so there there you go. <laughs> right away you know which one I really liked. Um, in general... Alternate endings and alternate universes and stuff has never been something I've been a big fan of, which is kind of ironic when you consider how often Kamen Rider does it, and that Decade, a show I really liked, was all about alternate universes. But I think what Decade did is the kind of alternate universe story I like, where you have a character who travels into them. Or, let's say, I think it's the uh, Super 8 Ultra Brothers movie the one that's got Tiga, Dinah, Gaia, and, and then the original guys. One of the things I loved about that was that you had the Ultraman Mebius from our universe, you know, the basic one from the TV show and everything. Uh, and that was cool. That sort of gave it a bit more weight because there was a character we could really care about and, and it was, by extension cared about everyone else in that universe. Because I think that's sort of the, the tricky thing with doing alternate universes or alternate endings, and the Rider movies are somewhat guilty of this, is it becomes like free reign to just kill everybody off and, and do ridiculous things with that, just turn them into character meat grinders, basically. So, yeah, it's it's kind of tough. I, I personally prefer movies that are just side stories to the TV show, like it, it takes place between this episode. You know, you don't even have to specify what episodes it takes place between anything. It can just be somewhere during the show this happened. 
and it doesn't conflict with anything too much. But even then, I always go back to the example of Comrider versus Shocker, where if you really think about it, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense with any point in the TV show. But I'm not going to create an entire alternate timeline to explain why Gilgaris is there. I, you, you don't need to do that. <laughs> you can just say they forgot about him or something. I don't know. Make it up in your head. Okay, but to get back to the question, I actually do like a lot of the movie versions more than the TV show renditions in some cases, especially with episode final. Although, like I said, I I, I don't hate the Ryuki ending. I've grown to like it more, but I, I do consider episode final my kind of take on the ending. And the same thing with Missing Ace. I love the TV Blade ending. I'll fully admit it's better made uh, because Missing Ace's big problem is that it was made halfway through the show rather than in real time. I think if you made Missing Ace four years after Blade was over, or even now, I, if there was any Rider movie to get remade, I'd want it to be Missing Ace because all the cast is still pretty much around. Uh, you've actually got Amani's actress has grown up and is still acting, and, and she's doing great. You could do some really cool things with it and just keep the same themes the same basic idea of the story, which is the passage of time and how Kamen Rider characters can't really deal with life after Kamen Rider. They're, they just they don't know what to do with themselves. I just I love that stuff. And another one, actually, is the Hibiki movie. That was sort of an alternate telling of at least the armed Hibiki origin story. And I, I prefer the movie version a bit more uh, to the show. But in general, I would say I'm I'm liking the current era of Rider movies more so. It mostly just comes down to the last uh, point, which is how do you think these films work as Kamen Rider films in general? And I think they're they're enjoyable movies, but there is just something fun to me about being able to put on a Kamen Rider movie and and not being like. Uh, I gotta watch the series before this to lead up to it or whatever. I mean, I mean, and that's the thing. You could make that argument with movies that tie into continuity. Like, you can't really watch the first Deno movie without being like, oh yeah, I gotta watch the episodes before and after it or whatever. Maybe I don't know, but I, I just I think I like it when the movies stand on their own, but they're still dealing with the characters that we know and love in the show. And so the idea of the movies to me is to just tell a really kind of big-scale adventure with them. But then by the end, they, you put everything back into place where it was. Put all the toys back in the toy box, as it were. Uh, but even putting that aside, I like a lot of those early movies. I love Missing Ace. Uh, I like Paradise Lost, Godspeed Love. They're not my favorite Rider movies, but I still really like them. Uh, so... Yeah, I don't know what else to say. I guess I don't miss that era, but we still had some pretty good movies coming out anyway. And uh, I don't know if we'll ever go back to the days of one Rider movie a year, because I think having so many movies per year is now just more profitable. But uh, it would be pretty interesting. I think what I would like to see is if you're going to do the alternate ending movies or sequel movies or stuff like that, it would be, like I said the Missing Ace remake, do them in real time. Like, it'd be really cool to see an alternate ending movie that's actually done after the TV show's over, or even as the TV show 
ending is being filmed simultaneously or something like that. I think I would go more the missing ace route of a story that's after the series and maybe based on sort of like if one thing was done differently, you know, if they turned left instead of turned right, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, those early movies, they, they have their strong points, definitely. Okay, and Liam Morgan asks... Do you think the writer's shows of the past years have become a little repetitive in their endings? The past three shows have ended with some variation of a main character dying in the penultimate episode, who will then be resurrected in the last five minutes. Is this a recurring theme that works for the show, or should the producers be trying to mix it up a little? It's not something I hate, just a pattern that I've noticed emerging. Kind of kills the big tension and drama that builds if a character is killed off well, i.e. Kengo, to be returned to life by the next episode. Yeah, all right. That's that is a, a fair criticism. Uh, a lot of people pointed this out during Forze, that it was basically airlifting ideas straight out of double, uh, which is something I think you can say about Kiva and Fies too. And it, it may have something to do with the fact that the writers, uh, same writers from Double, worked on Forze, and Inoue, of course, wrote both Fies and Kiva. Yeah, I I could agree with that. I don't think, again, like you said, um, it's not something I hate. It's not something that really bothers me. Because, I guess in the case of O's, they shook things up by having what happens in the second-to-last episode happen in the last episode. So we had that gap where we had to wait months before we got to see what happens with Ankh and all that. And and that's why I think, for me, that was the most successful one. Uh, The double episode, 48, is really interesting because I remember a lot of people got very emotional over it and and loved it and and called it like the greatest ending of all time and everything or greatest second to last episode. Uh, and I liked it, but it, it's funny how the actual last episode of Double. I love that episode. I think it's great. I like how it it characterizes Joker as as not being all that great. I mean, I know Joker's awesome and we all love him in the movies and stuff, but. He is supposed to be double at half power, so I like the fact that it's not really this heroic thing like it is in in the movies. It's more sort of like, oh, i got to turn to Joker now. I wish Philip was here. Like that whole scene where Showtime's like, let's do this, and he realizes Philip's not there. Uh, That I found a bit more emotional than, than the stuff in the episode before that. That's just me, you know, being a a cold-hearted jerk and all that. But that I really liked a lot. And Philip's resurrection at the end, I felt you had to do it because the show is called Kamen Rider Double, and it it just it wouldn't be right if it didn't end with Kamen Rider Double. But uh, that was the first time they did, so they got away with it okay. And like I said, I've, I liked how they did it with Ankh, where they, they gave us that gap so that when we saw Mega Max, it was like, you know, th- this is long overdue. I can't wait to see Ankh come back. And it, and I loved how they did it, too, where it it was the Ankh from the future, and they didn't definitively undo anything that happened in the actual ending, but they still kind of gave you hope that someday Eiji and Ankh will be reunited, and, and that was really cool. I loved how they did that. Now, in Forze... Uh, Forze's where I'll grant you that, yeah, Kengo <laughs> magically coming back to life in the last couple minutes. Now, to be fair, they did set up, I mean, they, they gave themselves sort of the, uh, the, the way out to do that with the whole thing of the Aquarius Zodiac and how she could 
instantly repair any damage. And if a guy like Leo can use all the past horoscope switches, then Sagittarius should be able to. So yeah, that that was fair. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't really a cheat or anything. But I know what you mean about it being a really good death. And then he comes back to life, and it sort of feels like they did that almost only because they'd done it with double, and I guess by extension O's, and and sort of now we have to, you know, we can't have anybody die at the end. We've got to have everybody happy and alive for the finale. You know, and what will they do in Wizard? Will, will we have that with... I'm imagining it's going to be Koyomi will somehow die or something, and then Haruto will find a way to save her. Or maybe even Haruto himself. The dragon will finally burst out of him, or who knows what. Maybe it'll be Shunpei. I don't know. It, it's, it's tough, because character death is something which has changed a lot from the earlier Heisei shows. They were just willing to slaughter <laughs> their own characters sometimes. Whereas I find now... Uh, you don't see a whole lot of main character good guys permanently die. And, yeah, I, I kind of am in that same mindset where it's like it's a pattern, and I don't quite know how I feel about it. I don't know. I, I guess it'll, we'll just have to see. If Wizard falls prey to the exact same thing, then, yeah, maybe I think uh, it's it's fair to say, well, they're running out of ideas or whatever, but we'll have to see. I, I feel like they, they did it differently enough in Double and O's to where when they did it in Forze, it was a bit silly, but uh, you know, on, another, on another level, he kind of had to come back because he had to reunite the, the whole Rider Club at the end. The the friendship had to be that strong that it brought him back in a way, he, even if it wasn't that. I don't know. I, I guess, yeah, the Forze one, <laughs> Forze one, it's weird. It, it wasn't very good how they did that, having him just come back, but it didn't bother me. And maybe that's just because I'm thinking of, again, Ultimatum and how Kengo kicks butt with the Ryder Club flag in that movie. And something like that, it was worth bringing him back for. That's how I feel. But yeah, I know, it, it is a pattern, and we'll just have to see if they keep doing it from here. I, I guess if, if you do it, uh, the way I like it best is the way they did it with uh, Ankh, where... You leave that gap. You leave the audience. Uh, even the audience in Japan had to wait like four months to see how that was resolved. And so when Ankh comes back, that felt really earned and really kind of deserved, I think. Even if it was very close to how Double had just done it. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a good one. That does make me think a lot. Okay, next up we have Wesley Ria, who asks... With these new novels coming out and giving us the potential to see new story and character details for any of the Rider shows, I have to ask, which top three Kamen Rider seasons, Heisei or Showa, are you aching to see given the, this novel treatment? Along the same lines, is there any season in particular that needs more story or character development from these novels that will fill the gaps that the TV season had and improve it in this way? Hmm, well... I think every Kamen Rider show, to some extent, can always use more. Even the ones I really like, I mean, I'm always interested to see more side stories or, or sequels or whatever, see the characters come back in some way. That's one of the things that's so great about Kamen Rider Spirits, is that it's doing all this stuff with the classic writers and, and addressing plot points and 
questions left over from the show. I mean, it's really kind of covering all the bases. But uh, as far as the whole novel thing, what uh, three shows I would want to see novels of, one would be Stronger. And that's because I want to see the story where Tackle comes back for real. Like, you know, no magical illusions or alternate universes or anything like that. I think it's time to have Tackle come back and be what she is. Be the rider between Stronger and Skyrider standing in that lineup. The thing is, it's a very hard story to tell in on screen now because the actors that you need for it are no longer with us. And I don't think it would work very well as just costumes, but I think in print form, uh, either as prose or as a comic, it would be really cool. And I don't think Kamara Spirits is going to do that. I mean, it's it's brought Tackle back, sort of, but not, not in the way I'd want to see it. So yeah, I'd love to see a novel tackle that, or, or another comic, like I said. The next one is kind of interesting. It would be, I would want to see a novel based on the episode final version of Ryuki. I mean, in terms of what happens after that cliffhanger ending where Ryuki and Knight go off to fight. A lot of people have said that they're going on a suicide run and it's supposed to be kind of this downbeat ending and then Odin does time travel or something and undoes it anyway. I don't know. I I always thought if you look at that as being the actual ending... It's a nice kind of contrast to the final, not the final, but near final battle in the TV show. The one where, big spoiler warning coming up, but Shinji gets stabbed, is dying, and then him and Knight basically fight all the dragonfly guys. And they win. So my interpretation of it was always that, well, if Ryuki and Knight are going into this battle at full strength you know, Ryuki's not dying, Shinji's okay and everything, then they're going to just mop the floor with these guys. And then what happens after that? Because we saw the whole mirror world shatter, we saw Kanzaki melt away, we saw Yui kill herself. I mean, it, it just it, it's such a, a crazy world left over. You got Zolda's quit, but he's still alive and may or may die, not die. Uh, I just, I'd really love to see a follow-up to that. I think it'd make a good novel anyway, because it probably wouldn't have a whole lot of action outside the beginning. I mean, you could come up with some new threat that they encounter or something like that, but uh, it'd just be really cool, because it'd be cool to see it a couple years on, because I imagine after that, Shinji probably becomes a a much more kind of cynical, almost bitter character, and it'd be cool to see that uh, in some way cross over with another writer show or something. And it, almost like the story of how does Shinji get his groove back or something. I, I don't know. I, I just I keep kind of getting into crossovers and stuff like that. Which brings me to the third <laughs> series I would like to see given novels of. And that is not so much one series in particular, but uh, series crossovers. And, and not like a huge, big all-writers thing, but something a bit smaller and a, sort of like an interesting combination. Like what would happen if Fies met Hibiki, or if Deno met Kabuto, something like that? You could do some really cool stories there. More small-scale crossovers, I guess, or, or even something like Genealogy of Justice, the PlayStation 2 game, which, to me, is still one of the greatest writer crossovers ever, because it's small, but it was the first real 
attempt at a meeting between the old riders and Agito. You had Rider 1, V3, Black, and Agito meeting. And it, it's so cool, because he had all the real voice actors and everything, too. But really well-written, really clever use of time travel. Something like that. Something a bit more small-scale, I think, would work really well as a uh, Rider novel. But yeah, I, I think just about every series could use uh, more stories told about, more expansions of things. I mean, you could do a whole series of novels based on Kuga about all those guys that he fought off screen. I mean, they created all these grongi that he battled in between episodes of the show, and you never saw outside of I think they mentioned one in like a newspaper once, and there's like a list of the different forms that he used to fight them, and, and they've got names and everything, but we've never really seen them, and it'd be so cool to get more elaboration on them. So it, all, it would almost be like the, the shadow episodes of Cougar or something. You know, in between each story arc, there was another one going on. That, that'd be nifty to see. Okay, and finally, for the Facebook questions, Walid Al-Haddad asks, I'm sure you got asked this, but which classic Toka series would you like to see revived or remade? Uh, my answer to this one may surprise you because it's not a Kamen Rider show or uh, Ishinomori show or anything most people have probably heard of, but Captain Ultra. That was a 1960 show by Toei, which I believe was what was put on between Ultraman and Ultra 7. And the network stuck the name on, hoping people would watch it because it has Ultra in the title. I don't know the whole story there, but uh, it's a really cool little show. Uh, from Toei. It's made around the same time as Giant Robo and Kabuto Ninja Akakage, which both of those have remakes in a sense. Uh, Akakage has a movie that I haven't gotten around to seeing yet, but I'd like to, and Giant Robo has had great success uh, in anime form. But Captain Ultra, I always thought, would be pretty cool if you did a sort of a semi-remake, where it's not it's not a straight remake, it's still makes use of the same universe and it was just like a hundred years later or, or even you know 50 years later or something you could have the original actor of Captain Ultra in a cameo do a kind of legacy hero thing with it and it'd be really interesting to me uh, to almost take the Metroid approach and have Captain Ultra turn out to be a woman uh, because it's a pretty gender-neutral role Basically, Captain Ultra is just this guy that, in the far future, is kind of like a space hero, kind of a Flash Gordon-type character. But yeah, it's it's just a really cool show because it's mostly filmed in a studio. Uh, there's not a whole lot of location shooting, if any at all. It's all kind of space-bound, and there's lots of cool dog fights in space with models. It's got a great theme song. Uh, and I don't know, I just I kind of have this vision in my head of I could see a really cool new version of it which is updated in the sense of, of the technology and all that but still kind of sticks to the classic designs of the show actually because I think the the designs are really cool and, and all you really would have to do is kind of tweak things here and there like Captain Ultra has this cool kind of red outfit you could do that in more of a darker sort of maroon color make it look kind of leathery the aliens are just these wacky-looking spiral guys, but you could do them really freaky now. I mean, they were pretty freaky back then, but you could do them really, like, terrifying now, genuinely scary. Uh, there's giant monsters, there's this cool ship that splits in three. Yeah, it's it's a really wacky 
funny show, but it, it's loads of fun, great action, and I just think it, it'd make a really cool series, or at least a movie. I think you could do a really cool movie out of it. Make it kind of, uh, you know, vaguely Star Wars, vaguely Star Trek-ish, like the new Star Trek, kind of that, that style. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I'd love to see a, a Captain Ultra revival. <sighs> How obscure can you get? Um, but yeah, that wraps it up for the Facebook questions. Thanks to everybody who asked, and now we'll close it out with many, many questions from Twitter. All right, moving on to Twitter. First, we have a bunch of questions from Comrider Pez, uh, who probably asked all those because he wants me to mention that he has a podcast, Pez's Sweet Nothings, and I'll link to that. You should definitely check that out. Okay, so he asked, do you prefer Rider 1 or 2? Uh, asking me that is sort of like asking me, do I prefer breathing or do I prefer being alive? I cannot answer that question. <laughs> I just can't. All right, if I have to choose, if I have to just choose one, I would say Rider 2, and that's only because he tends to be the slightly more undervalued one. Everybody loves Rider 1, but Rider 2 gets a little overlooked. Uh, but I think he is as good a character... I think Ichimanji's uh, just a great guy overall. I think Sasaki Takeshi is a great actor. And one of my personal heroes, I mean, he really went through a very rough period in his life. Uh, hit rock bottom, basically. And he bounced back, and he's doing great now. He's a very kind of inspirational figure to me in a lot of ways. And uh, and I've, I'm very lucky to have met him briefly. Uh, and he was a great guy. So, uh, yeah, Ryder 2, I mean, kind of gets overlooked a bit because people are like, oh, well, he just looks like Ryder 1. But, you know, he's really his own guy. He's his own character. He's unique enough and different enough and, and very cool. And I love the first 13 episodes of Common Rider, but it was really under Ichimanji that it went from being a show I really liked to my favorite show of all time. So, yeah, I would go with... Rider 2, but just. Uh, I love Rider 1 a lot, and, and you know, I, I can't say enough good things about him. Fujioka's awesome. Yeah, it's that's a tough one. That, that's really hard. <laughs> okay. Is a Showa Rider more powerful than a Heisei Rider that must use gimmicks to access their full power? I don't know. I mean, I, personally, up to me, I would say that in terms of physical strength, I tend to think of the Showa Riders is being more powerful because they're cyborgs. And we don't know a whole lot about their stats. And I know stats are kind of ridiculous as it is, but you know, let, bear with me for a second. What we do know from the stats is that Super 1, I think it is, uh, when he's got the power hand, the red ones, and he's punching, he's hitting at a force of something like 30 tons, which is more than most of the Heisei Riders I think, like, in their strongest forms, they may get up that high, but a lot of them are usually in the single digits by comparison, or like 10 or 11, if it's a really strong kick or something. So uh, that, to me, kind of was always an, an indicator. And like I said, we don't know a whole lot about the, the stats beyond that, but I imagine if you were to make stats for the show riders, they would probably be pretty high in terms of how hard they're kicking and punching and all that. So physically, I, I think they're more powerful. I, I guess it sort of evens out for the Heisei Riders when you throw in all the gimmicks and the final forms and stuff like that. But 
I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the like who would win in a fight arguments because they're kind of ridiculous and they can go any way. It, it depends on the scene and depends on the movie and, and what the writer is doing and stuff like that. I mean, you know, take the scene in uh, Let's Go Common Riders where Rider 1 and 2 beat up O's. Could they beat up O's? Yeah, they could. Could O's hold his own against them? I could argue that he could too. It, it really depends. But I, I think ultimately, ultimately in the team-ups and stuff like that, everybody's kind of on an equal footing uh, and able to do well against the same opponents. I mean, you, you could say that, like, if, say, Kuga or someone were to go up against a classic rider villain, they should have a really hard time because the classic villains are operating on a, a higher power level, being cyborgs and having all these advanced abilities and things like that. But you could say that about... A villain from one of the new shows too it's it's really hard to say i guess if if you want to just sort of be like well who would be able to punch the other guy faster than uh maybe the show writers because if the heisei guys are using their messing around with their cards or, or memories or whatever i don't know <laughs> i don't know but in terms of just physical strength i would go with the show writers but it it probably balances out when you factor in stuff like final forms and all that, so there you go. <laughs> okay. Are the writers basically gods? Did Ishinomori want Kamara to be immortal part of E three? I read that into the end of E three episode two. I think they are immortal in the sense of they don't age or they age very slowly. Like Hongo you know, the character in 2013 should look pretty close to how he looked in 1973. Um, That's sort of my own interpretation of it. But I don't think that should stop you from, if you have the chance to cast Fujioka as Hongo again, then cast Fujioka as Hongo. I'll live with it. (laughs) That's just kind of my, my comic book version logic there. But I don't know about gods in the sense. I think they're still supposed to be able to be injured and and potentially killed, but it's really hard to kill them. I mean, they can endure a lot. Guys like X, you know, get stabbed clean through the chest and and survive and things like that. They have ways to fix themselves and all that. So, yeah, V3 Episode 2, of course, has Rider 1 and 2 surviving a nuclear blast, uh, which... Yeah, I could see them doing it. I mean, it, it all really depends, I guess. Uh, what's once more, like it depends on on the writer and how. What are you gonna write? What is it that that stops them and things like that? Uh, you know, Godspeed Love had Drake get shot to death, pretty much, which I always thought was a bit silly. Uh, I I'm more of a fan of the idea of writers being bulletproof. You know, regardless of of what writer it is, even Hibiki or Amazon or or Shin. I guess with Shin, like, the bullets would go into him and he'd just sort of be like, and then, you know, heal up. But uh, the other guys, I, I think they're, you know, they'll bounce right off or whatever. So, yeah, there you go. I, I think riders are, I think, what was it, in Doctor Who, they once said, uh, we're immortal barring accidents. It's that sort of thing. <laughs> How do you feel about form changes? Which writer best utilized in show and as a fictional character form changes? I like form changes. I like them the most when there's a real marked difference in the powers of the different forms or the visual design. Uh, so I really liked Kuga because when he became Dragon, he was faster and could jump higher. When he was Pegasus, he had the heightened senses, that kind of thing. That was really cool. 
as for which one is best utilized form changes, uh, that's tough. I guess I would say Kuga again, but that's partly just because I'm kind of in thinking about Kuga right now. I'm in a Kuga mood. And, and really, when you stop and think about it, I liked how they did the form changes in O's, in Double, uh, even in Den O, where it was more of a change of sort of weapon and, and personality and fighting style, but it was still pretty cool. One of my favorite form changes, really, uh, is actually Black RX, because that kind of, kind of combined everything, where he would almost become literally like a different rider, bio rider or robo rider, one being really strong and, and using the gun and, and robotic and, and just super powerful, and the other being fast and kind of broken in a sense with the whole turning into liquid thing. But hey, Wizard can do that now. So yeah, that was really cool, and and the designs would change a lot. I'd, I'd really love to see another form-changing rider that does that, where he actually like becomes four or five different common riders, like a different theme common rider. Even like you could have a guy who's he's got like a techno theme, he's got a, a an organic theme, something like that. I, one of the original concept designs of Kuga actually was that he was going to be able to turn into a ninja rider, a gun rider, a sword rider, and I think it was a, a kung fu rider or something like that, or a staff-wielding rider. Was, i got to look at the pictures again, but uh, it was really cool and, and close to that Black RX sort of style, which, like I said, I'd love to see used again. What is your favorite form change? I'm going to go with Kuga Titan form. Now, part of that is that I always really liked the sound effect when he transformed into that. I thought that was just a really cool noise. Uh, but also that he was so strong. He looked really cool. He had that big sword. And the fact that the first time he showed up, he's virtually unbeatable. But by the end of the series, you had the buffalo guy who tears him a new one, pretty much. So I like that, that it, it, it was a very powerful form change at first. But it kind of justified why Kuga has to become stronger over time and get stuff like the Rising Forms and Amazing Mighty because by the end of the show, Titan Form is not enough. But yeah, I really like that one. I was I always thought it was really cool with the purple look and everything. Really different. Um, so that would probably be my favorite one. Is there any alternate form you prefer to a base form? That's tricky because I usually tend to like the base forms the most. And the alternate forms or the like the upgrades and stuff, I always say, well, they can go as ridiculous as they want because as long as I like the basic form, go to town. I think the closest thing would be Agito Shining Form, where I really like that costume a lot. I don't think it would be a better basic form than like basic ground Agito, but I, I might say that I like it a little bit more. Um, but... Yeah, that's tough. I, I don't really know if there's any that I prefer to the original one. I just kind of like them all in their own ways, I guess. <laughs> okay, what style of belt do you prefer? The internal, like Kuga, external, like Fies, Forze, uh, which is the hammer space belt, or always on, like Ichimanji and Haruto. Uh, and are those categories accurate? Sure, I'd, I'd say they're pretty accurate. I guess you could say that the... Forze belt and the Fies belt are both, they kind of vary. Sometimes they're external, quote-unquote, sometimes they're hammer space, because I know Takumi did pull the Fies driver out of thin air sometimes, but 
me personally, I like the always on belt, and I really like the way they're doing it in Wizard, where he's always got this belt buckle that then enlarges to become the henchin belt. I think that's really cool. Actually, you know, I, I would probably say that the always on and the internal is is almost kind of the same thing. I mean, I know with Ichimanji there was like a scene where you see him in human form and he's got the belt around him and everything. Uh, but I always sort of thought that it was it was similar, where it would like disappear and appear outside of him. I know there's a Skyrider episode uh, and a V3 episode, I believe, where you will see the heroes uh, shirtless and they don't have the belts around their waist. They only appear when they actually transform, so it kind of depends a bit on uh, you know the scene and and what they're doing. But I guess sort of a, so a combination of the internal and the always on, basically what I like is where the belt isn't something that you can lose or somebody else can put on. It's something that you're kind of stuck with. Um, but, you know, you could do a nice sort of twist on that where it's something you're stuck with that you can still take off, which, again, I, I think that's what they're doing with Wizard because at some point, Haruto's got to be able to change his pants and uh, <laughs> he has to be able to swap the belt around too, I think. Or I was I always thought it would be kind of cool to do something where the belt is kind of a different style, almost like crisscrossing belts or something that connect in the middle. And so it's like something that you can unclasp in the middle and kind of have hanging down by your back. I don't know, that, that's getting a bit sort of alternative fashion-y, but uh, it'd be really cool to see something like that. Okay, has there ever been a fully realized love interest for a writer? If not, why do the story's writers shy away from that? Uh, I think the closest thing to a fully realized love interest would probably be with Excel and Akiko. And then, I guess a bit earlier, you had Nago and Megumi in Kiva. But main writers tend to get the short end of the stick. And I think that's just a writer thing. I think they sort of feel, well, that's not really the angle we're going for with this stuff. And, and all kids wouldn't care about that. Like with the secondary characters, they're willing to do it because they're sort of in the background. But the main guys, in a way, they kind of have to remain single and, and forever alone in a sense. I always thought it, it, if there was one writer where you could buck that trend, that would be with V3 because him and Junko, they are an OTP. And uh, <laughs> they were destined to be together, in my opinion, anyway. Um, do you prefer for blowing up Tokyo versus crushing someone's dreams, etc., as writer-villain motivations, uh, as you alluded to last episode? I did. I mentioned how old-school writer-villains tended to go for these very grandiose, large-scale plans, whereas these days we've got sort of more personal, uh, you know, attack the dreams or hopes of one person, that kind of thing. I probably would say, were it up to me, like were I doing a, a writer series and writer-villains, uh, I'd have them kind of go for the more blowing up Tokyo approach, just because I like that sort of stuff. I like the threat of massive destruction and all that, which you can still get with the, the smaller approach, the crushing someone's dreams. Like in, in Deno, you know, they go back in time and, and destroy the past and stuff like that. So you can certainly tie them together. Uh, but there is just something exciting to me about the villains having a really evil plan and something really major that the heroes have to trek all over Tokyo to stop or whatever. When there's stuff like, you know, we've got bombs set up all across the city and you got to go around defusing them or something. Uh, that's really exciting stuff. And uh, understandably, probably harder to get away with on TV these days. But it would be cool to see a return to that, I think. I do like the the current style of manipulating people or 
tarnishing their dreams, ruining their lives, stuff like that. But it'd be really cool to see a, a more widespread sort of chaotic thing, just causing chaos. And uh, I, I really, actually, that's something I really liked about in Double Forever was the idea of of never being these terrorists who are just spreading chaos and just a reign of terror on this city. And you really get behind Shotaro and his his anger at this and just wanting to we gotta take these guys down uh, I love that, that's good stuff would you like to work on Kamen Rider, is that, that something towards which you are working, has a foreigner written for Rider, uh, I don't think one ever has, I would certainly love to, I don't know if it'll ever happen well, I don't know when it'll happen I'll put it that way, uh, it's something I would love to do though, I, I would be honored work on Kamen Rider, even if it was for like a spin-off thing, like a comic or whatever, and hopefully someday I'll get a chance, but we'll see. Uh, but thanks for all those questions, and check out Pez's Sweet Nothings. Okay, next up, Lars Ars has a few questions. First, what's your favorite thing about the franchise? What made you go with Kamen Rider as the franchise you put most of your energy into? My favorite thing is really the themes of it. I, I think the themes of Kamen Rider, of, of the masks that people wear and the loneliness that we all feel and, and being different and stuff like that are really good. And they're, very, they're prevalent through all the shows in, in different ways. Strongest in a lot of the early series, which is probably why those are my favorite ones. But even Kamen Rider now always has that, the sort of themes of alienation or being the one guy standing against a greater force, uh, all sorts of things. I mean, every show has its own set of themes and all that. Uh, but there are a few constant ones, and, and that's a really cool thing about the franchise, that it, it's gone on so long and changed in so many ways, but it's always recognizably the same show. And, and that's true of a lot of long-running things. I mean, that's one of the reasons I like Doctor Who, is that it's uh, it's come so far, but it's it's still the same good old show underneath. You know, the names change and things like that, but you always know what it is, at least. Uh, that's how I feel. So as far as being the one that I put most of my energy into, I think it just kind of uh, it, it developed kind of accidentally almost. I mean, I, I got online back in the late 90s and mostly hung around on Kamen Rider message boards and stuff like that because I, I was really kind of getting into Kamen Rider I got into it before that. I mean, I watched it as a kid and everything, but I kind of would go through these phases where, like, I was, there was a year or so of my life where, like, Kikaider was the greatest thing of all time or Ultraman or whatever, you know. And, and Kamen Rider had kind of always been a constant. I always liked it and I always go back to it, but there just was a point where suddenly it became, like, my show and I never put it down after that. And I think it was probably when I was just starting to become a teenager, kind of, and a lot of the, the themes in it really started to resonate with me, and I liked the slightly darker feel to it. I mean, I remember as a kid, uh, I loved Ultraman, and lots of things in Kamen Rider would actually kind of scare me, like some of the monsters and stuff like that, whereas, you know, Ultraman uh, never frightened me. I always thought it was cool or, or you know wild or whatever, but Kamen Rider legitimately did scare me. And it's funny to look back now, because a lot of those things are things I love. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it, it was just something that kind of came with age. I guess that's... The, the older I got, the more energy I put into it. 
to the point now where you know I could never put it down pretty much. Uh, but I'm glad I can't. Did you ever hit a point where you thought you were too old for this kid stuff or considered not keeping up with Ryder anymore? Nope, I never did. Because the way I think of it is everybody, you know, we all have that thing that we're obsessed with or, or into. And adults, we're really all just big kids uh, when you get down to it. And I don't think you should ever be embarrassed or ashamed by what you like. As long as it's not hurting anybody else and it's not destroying your life and, you know, anything like that. As long as it's uh, reasonable, you know, like what you like. I've got friends who are into some pretty crazy things, but they respect what I like. I respect what they like. You know, it's that sort of thing. Um, I, but I don't think you should ever feel like you're too old for this stuff. My favorite episode of the podcast was the retrospecting Ryuki episode. Do you plan on doing similar episodes for other writer shows? Uh, yes, I do indeed, and I will be doing a Fize one at some point this year. And it'll be different. I don't think I'll talk as much about the fan reaction, because with that one, it was a little bit more cool. I mean, a lot of the sort of anger about Fize has come about in later years people looking back and saying, I didn't like the ending or it's too angsty or whatever, but this one will be a bit more personal in the sense of, of what I think of the show now. But I will certainly do one for Fies. I'll do one for Blade after that. And I'll, I'll probably do a couple ones not related to Anniversary or anything like that, just sort of a, a looking at the show from this perspective or from what fans think of it or whatever. Uh, Hibiki could certainly do one, <laughs> and I certainly will at some point, but... uh yeah, I will do more episodes like that. Okay, next up is Inui Takumi of the Rising Sun Tokucast, another podcast which you should listen to and which I was on once in a very long episode that I think they broke up into two, uh, but that was a lot of fun. Okay, and he asks, I started rewatching Kamarada Fies and remembered how different the feel of Kamarada was in the early Heisei shows. People dog on those series for having a lot of angst. But what do you think are the good points of the pre-decade shows? I think with those shows, we'll, we'll go with Kuga through Kiva, that era. They were so experimental, and they kind of, in a way, you know, after Kamen Rider being off the air for so long, they sort of had to relearn how to make it. And this resulted in some really interesting stuff. I mean, I've often said that the first four episodes of Kuga, I think, are some of the greatest Kamen Rider episodes ever. I love those. And, you know, the series after that is good, too. But those first four in particular, amazing stuff. And there's episodes of Agito and Ryuki. Yeah, I mean, all of them, they've got great stuff going on. Uh, I can certainly see the point about the show is having a lot of angst. And there are a lot of ways in which I feel that Kamen Rider now is much closer to the classic era of, of the 70s and the 80s and stuff like that in terms of the, the values of what does it mean to be a common rider and all that? Because one thing you can say about the early Heisei shows is they did kind of just give anybody the name, you know, common rider. So we had the evil riders and crazy riders and gray area riders and all that. And, and that was all cool. I mean, I think I like the shows in a lot of ways. I like them looking back on them as sort of pieces of nostalgia now. Seeing that evolution from one show to the next and how did we get from Kuga all the way up to Kiva and then into Decade. They've got a real sort of sense of growing pains, uh, but they're still, they're all good shows, and they're all worth watching. 
And I know it's sort of fashionable to just watch whatever writer show you want, uh, but I think there is some merit in going through the series chronologically, you know, starting with an earlier show and then going forward uh, to just to see that evolution, or at least maybe rewatching them that way. Like after you've watched all the writer shows in whatever order, try watching them in order. I'm just speaking from my experience because that's basically how I did. I mean, the earlier writers I kind of watched in a jumble. I think I had seen lots of some of the later ones before I finished the original show, but I was back in the VHS days and everything was crazy like that. But at least from from Kuga onwards, I watched every show in order. Uh, And so I think that really kind of helped me appreciate a lot of the the differences and the changes and the quirks and things like that. But yeah, I I think all the shows still have really uh, cool things going on in them, and and they've all got good points, and the feel of them and the tone, yeah, it it is different, but it's it's still cool. It's it's different, uh, but good in its own way. It's not a really great answer, I'm afraid, but I think to go into more detail, I'd, I'd really have to get into each one individually, and, and that that's a whole other topic right there. But, uh, yeah, and it's certainly one that I, I am more than willing to take on that challenge at some point, go through each show and point out the good things about it. In fact, I'm kind of doing something like that right now, although it's not a podcast, but you will be seeing it early this year. Okay, Ja Johnson asks, Do you think these big Rider and Sentai team-up movies are getting tiresome given how often we get them now? Uh, I'm not tired of them yet. I do think I would like to see sort of a move away from the big Mega Everybody Appears movie to something smaller scale, like Mega Max or even Ultimatum, like a crossover between or a team-up between two Riders or a couple Rider series or something like that. And that's mostly just because the big crossover movies, I like them, but they are something you should only do once in a while. And we had All Riders vs. Die Shocker, which was cool. We had Let's Go Cover Riders, which was cool. And there was a year gap in between those, so that was long enough. But even then, I feel like we could wait a little bit longer before getting the next one. But, you know, we're already going to get another superhero Tyson. Uh, and that turned out to be not quite the movie I think everybody wanted it to be. So I don't know. I, I would say I'm not getting tired of them, especially after nearly a decade where we didn't have any team-ups. Uh, two decades, honestly, if you count the 90s and then the early 2000s. Sentai had team-ups and Ultraman had team-ups, but Ryder didn't really, uh, you know, outside of really small things like Climax Deca or the Ryuki Hyper Battle video or whatever. So... Uh, I'm glad that we're seeing more Rider team-ups and, and things like that, but yeah, I think they could certainly uh, start pushing them beyond just the, you know, get everybody get together and throw them in a crowd shot, that kind of thing. We can do more stuff like the Movie Wars are doing. I mean, they're doing a really cool job of bringing these universes together and, and having characters show up and throwing them at each other and, and just doing cool things with them. Okay, Regular Cog asks... What do you think of the recent series' attempts to do Sentai Megazord sequences like Deno's Train vs. Gigadeths or Kiva's Dragons? Are they successful or trying too hard and way too CGI overladen? Yeah, I can certainly see what you mean about the 
<laughs> the Sentai Megazord sequence, if you will. Now, I know there's a lot of people, a lot of Sentai fans, actually, that are not big fans of the mecha scenes. I've never really minded them, but that might be because being an Ultraman fan and, and a Godzilla fan and stuff like that. I, I just like seeing giant stuff <laughs> smash into each other and all that, and I don't, I don't mind them that much. But uh, for the Kamen Rider stuff, things like the train scenes or the dragon scenes, that I think the thing about them is they would get used very often early on and then kind of progressively forgotten about to the point where you look back on it, it's like, wait, this was in the show? Like, you sort of forget all about it. Like, Kiva had some fights with giant monsters and stuff like that, but not that many. It's interesting to see what Wizard's doing, where he doesn't always go into the underworld and fight a giant thing, but he does it pretty often. And I hope he's still doing it by the end of the show. Because uh, it's a cool idea, but I, I feel like it is something that, as the budgets just dry up, <laughs> they'll stop doing it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess uh, I don't mind them, but if we didn't have them, it wouldn't bother me that much. If we devoted that time to more regular fighting or plot development or whatever, uh, I'd just have to wait and see, really. Okay, next up, we have KRSR Sims Life, AKB, who asks about Ishinomori heroes you think should get remade next, assuming they keep with it. Uh, like I said, Kikaider, Robot Detective, I'd love to see. And also, to add to that list, Chojin Bibion, who, uh, they were the sequel series to Akamizer 3. And now that we've got a new version of Akamizer, I think we could definitely have a new version of them. And it'd be cool to do something where, like, they're heroic and sort of trying to atone for the sins of Akamizer in a way, because they are very connected heroes, and if you've seen Bibion, you sort of know what the connection is. But yeah, it'd be, it'd be really cool to see new versions of them, because the SIC figures they did a while ago, they weren't the full-scale ones. They were the smaller, sort of statue-sized Takumi ones, I believe. Uh, those are really cool. And I've always loved the designs of those guys. They're really far out. and it, That's a really neat show. Kind of a predecessor to Hibiki, uh, as a lot of things are. But uh, the, just the whole idea of fighting the yokai and, and sort of traditional Japanese monsters, which a lot of the Makamo were based on, at least later on, once you got to the summer episodes. Uh, and that's always cool to see, that sort of stuff. Probably one I think they shouldn't touch is Kaiketsu Zubat, and that's just because, to me, that role is so dominated by Miyu Chihiroshi. And I think, more or less, the character was created to be played by him, so I don't really feel anybody else could do it. Uh, so if you bring him back, you've got to bring him back as is, I feel. Okay, and next we have two questions from Matty Rosero. First of which is, Kamen Rider tends to rely on certain archetypes. Which do you think work particularly well, or do you most enjoy seeing play out? As far as characters go, uh, I've always been a big fan of sort of the older mentor-type character. Basically, I call it the Tachibana of the show. Or even uh, someone like in O's, you had the Couscousier owner... Now we've got the guy who runs the antique shop and makes the rings and all that. That sort of character has always been a lot of fun. And I don't know, there's just there's something to me that's very cool, again, about seeing when you 
contrast the old and the new and you have an older veteran actor alongside you know these new guys who for many of them Kamen Rider will be their sort of their launching pad for hopefully a, a long illustrious career or at least it's something that they're doing early on in their career uh, so it's always cool to see how they interact with an older actor and how they sort of learn from them and, and things like that uh, because I definitely felt that with a lot of the old shows that Tachibana, uh, Kobayashi, was such a powerhouse in, in terms of being a guy who had been in the original Ultraman and frequently appeared in early Ultra series and all that. And to get him for Kamen Rider it was kind of a coup in some ways. Uh, it, it really was like a big deal and that he stuck with it for so long and became this beloved character that really sort of tied the early shows together. Uh, and it was just a lot of fun. And if you really think about it, that guy went through so much stuff. You know, all the times that he was captured, kidnapped, knocked out, possessed, turned evil, whatever. It, it's sort of like, it's the same thing with Taki in the original show. It's it's really funny to look back now and be like, those guys, they were survivors. They <laughs> They dealt with some really crazy stuff. But yeah, I've always enjoyed that sort of character. I mean, a lot of the uh, the archetypes and sort of the, the typical characters, if you will, that you see in Kamen Rider, I enjoy. As far as, for instance, villains go, I've always been a big fan of characters like Apollo Geist, where they are simultaneously very by the book, and they follow orders, and they're loyal to the evil organization. They've got the team spirit going on, but they've also got that slightly more independent edge and, and they won't take crap from anybody. I mean, that's Apollo Geist in a nutshell. He will work with you, but if you make him mad, he'll just as soon kill you. Like, he, that's a really cool uh, character type to me. And and another reason I like Udespar in Inazuma and Flash, he was very much the same sort of thing. Because I think it's very common to think that the renegade, loner, sort of anti-hero middle-of-the-ground character has to fight everybody. And I don't think they have to. I think it's cool to have that character who is loyal to the villains, but still sort of works in their own ways and, and likes to think outside the box and be a bigger challenge, but is still a real... is still loyal to the ultimate evil goal and everything. So that's a character type that I really enjoy. As far as archetypes in the sense of like a plot development or or the way a story plays out or something like that pretty much any of them I, I mean I really just sort of I like watching the story unfold I always like it when they refer back to older things of course but just seeing how is the story going to unfold and and what's going to happen from week to week it's it's always really cool uh, I, you know, I, I'm kind of at a loss for words here because I tend to associate archetype with characters but you could associated with a plot point or an idea, a concept. It's like, how does each writer show deal with the idea of the hero not being fully human anymore? Some shows really go to town with it. Others, it's much more, it's it's more downplayed, but they all do it in some ways. So uh, I guess, yeah, that just the, the short answer is that Kamen does have a lot of archetypes, and I, I like watching them all, but I do have particular favorites, which are things like the, the older character in the show, or particular ways villains work, 
Uh, even certain ways the heroes work. I always enjoy the heroes being morally upstanding and, and good people and all that, but with a slightly darker side to them. And it doesn't have to mean like they're standoffish or mean or something like that. It could just... Uh, like Haruto, I think, is is a great example of a character who he's got he's got something beneath him. He's got layers. And it's really exciting to see him want to be this good guy and, and be this great hero and all that. But you know, there's something, there's something dark lurking under the surface. And that is really cool to me. I, I love that a lot. Okay, could you talk about some of your favorite writer bromances in both Showa and Heisei? Um, I'm not sure if I'm qualified <laughs> to talk about this, but I'll do my best. Obviously, I think the the births, uh, Goto and Date, that was a great one. And I believe it, one of the, was it like one of the uh, the suburbs actually when he would say Goto Chan, they would translate it as Broto. <laughs> um, that's that's pretty funny. I like that. Yeah, I, all the modern shows, I think they have that real male bonding sort of thing going on between the lead and another character or two supporting characters. You could go all the way back, of course, to the original Rider 1 and 2. Uh, Hongo and Ishimanji really had an interesting sort of relationship in that the first time they met, you get the sense that they like each other and they're they're good friends and all that, but there's this whole thing where Hongo actually uses the old double-sided coin trick to get... Uh, he wants to go off and investigate something and Ichimanji goes off the other way. So he kind of tricks him into it uh, but it's funny that you've got early on they're sort of they're still sort of feeling each other out in terms of do I really trust this guy and is he really my equal and all that and and then by the end of the show the last episode you know that they are best friends for life basically uh, so that's really cool V three and Rider Man of course that's one that really developed from an intense bitter rivalry to these guys were great friends. X and Amazon is one that's sort of come about from Stronger and then later in Comrade Spirits. But I just, I love that combination. And I, I guess you can look at it as a bromance. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I'm not not really qualified in this area. But yeah, just in general. I mean, I always like seeing uh, Blade and Chalice, you know, things like that. Having these very strong connections between between two male characters or two female characters, too. I'd, I'd like to see more of those. But, um, yeah, I, I guess if I had to pick a favorite, it would actually still be the births, because you really did get the sense that Date saw Goto as being, like, he's his little bro, and he really wanted he really wanted to bring him into being a, a better sort of character. When he starts out, Goto, is, he was kind of funny, because, oh, he's that guy that shoots O's with the bazooka, and he, he's always kind of frowning and everything, but he really did come into his own by the end, and Date helped the process. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that, like, you know, I usually like writers to have one identity. I think of this guy as this writer, and so on and so forth. Like, to me, Kamurai the B is always going to be Yagaruma. I know other guys put the suit on, but Yagaruma came first, and I just associate that character with that costume. Or Ixa, to me, is Nago. I know Otoya was uh, Ixa for a whole 
chunk of the show, but it's still, to me, just I associate Nago with Ixa. With Birth, though, I like Dante and Goto so much, it's really hard. Uh, you, when I see a picture of Birth now, it's like, you know, which one is it? It, it could go either way, because I think they were both great births. And, of course, you got proto-birth and all that. But, uh, yeah, that's that's just how good both of those characters were in, in relating to each other and and really improving each other to the point where either one of them is, is a really good birth. That sounds kind of weird, but <laughs> there you go. Okay, and the last one from Twitter. Tokudeka asks, Another question I'm not sure if you answered already. What do you think of Kamen Rider Spirits? I think Kamen Rider Spirits is arguably the greatest Kamen Rider manga ever done. And and I'm including Ishinomori's in that. And you know how I feel about Ishinomori, so that's pretty high praise. Kamen Rider Spirits has been running since, I think, about 2000 or 2001. Almost as long as Kamen Rider's been back on TV. And it has just been an amazing journey with incredible artwork, some awesome moments for characters that I, I love very deeply, tons of references and nods back to the classic shows. I mean, practically everyone from the classic shows has shown up in it somehow. And it's just been building towards what I hope is going to be a pretty epic conclusion. And it is going to wrap up soon. They're, they are building towards the climax, and you can tell by the latest chapters. But uh, when all is said and done... I think people are going to look back on it and be like, this really was one of, if not the greatest Kamen Rider comic ever. Uh, it's it's a, it's a great story that you really just get pulled into. I mean, despite being a story that I know already, I mean, it's the, it's the origin of, of the cross, and you know how that's going to turn out, but the way it's being told and the things that it's doing with the Kamen Rider universe and filling in the gaps and, and, like I said, you know, addressing old plot threads and stuff like that. It's it's just so cool, and I would love it if we could get something like that for the Hasey Riders, or even just one more Rider show, like, even if it, if it was just Hibiki or just Kiva or whatever, it'd be really cool to see. But uh, I hope we get more Rider comics from Reda after it's over, because he does a really fantastic job with it. So, yeah, what do I think of Kamen Rider Spirits? I think Kamen Rider Spirits is amazing and awesome, and, and you, you should read it. Just check it out. It's being translated, I think, still. A lot of chapters have been translated, and uh, it's a bit further along in Japan, if you're following with the Japanese releases, the collected volumes and stuff, but hopefully someday it'll be completely translated, and uh, it is well worth checking out. Okay, and finally, one more question. This comes from Indragiri on Facebook, and I actually got it as I was recording. He has two. Which other Ishinomori heroes do you think will appear as guests in the next Riders movie or show? Uh, like I said, I'd love to see Kikaider, Robot Detective, or Chojin Bibiun. I don't know which one will appear. It could be someone completely unexpected, like, you know, who thought that we'd ever get a new version of Poitrine. But uh, whoever it'll be, if they do it again, I'm sure it'll be exciting, and I look forward to it. But I'd love to see a new take on Kikaider or Robot Detective. 
Okay, he has one more question. What's going to happen with Sigma in 2013? Uh, Kamen Rider Sigma is a fan fiction that I started back in 2000. And as I like to say, it's been over 10 years in the making. It had a couple sort of relaunches in 2004 and 2007, but really nothing has come of it since then. But it's always been a backburner project. It's something that I've always working on in the background. And actually, I have the whole story more or less figured out, like right down to the last scene. I know exactly how it ends. I know all the characters and, and what's going to happen and everything. And really, just the, the challenge now is just getting it out there, writing it down, putting it out. And that's something that I hopefully will do in 2013. I've got big plans for it. At least early 2013, I want to get the first 13 episodes out. And now that's going to include some episodes that already existed, although I'm, I've gone back and tweaked them and rewritten parts and things like that just to sort of make them a bit closer to my writing style now because I've come a long way since even 2007. But it does still follow the same story. So if you're familiar with the characters and the, the story flow of previous versions, then it, it's still got that but it's just sort of brought into the the more modern 2013 perspective that I have because it you know you have to take that stuff into account because I always sort of considered Kamen Rider Sigma to be my ultimate sort of thesis on Kamen Rider and what I like about it and how I feel about it and because it touches on all the bases it touches on all the things I like about Kamen Rider in general and, and what I like to see. And, and and I always described it as it's not how I think a Kamen Rider story should be done. It's what I like to see in a Kamen Rider story. It's everything that I enjoy about all the shows and the movies and all that sort of compiled into one story that hopefully is also an interesting story on its own. I mean, I always kind of joke that it is a, a blatant ripoff of V3, <laughs> especially the first two episodes. But that's... That's just me showing what influences me and what inspires me. And given that 2013 will be the 40th anniversary of V3, I feel it's probably right to start the story off. I don't know if I'll finish it in 2013 because I do have quite a few episodes planned out. But I'm I'm going to try to at least get through the first 13 episodes and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But yeah, I, I do have plans for Common Rider Sigma in 2013, and I think you'll be getting a little hint of those very soon, so please look forward to that. Okay, well that wraps it up for this episode of Rider Break. This was a long one, like I said, and hopefully it was enjoyable to listen to. Uh, I don't know, maybe it was a complete waste of time, but I certainly had fun recording it. There you go. <laughs> Ring in the new year. Uh, and there will be many more episodes of Rider Break coming this year. I plan to do far more than I did in 2012 and maybe try out a few other audio projects. We'll see what happens. Until then, have a happy new year. I hope you have a great 2013. Thanks to everybody who's sending all these great questions and wanted to know what I think of things. And uh, thank you all for listening and for continuing to support me and uh, all my projects and stuff like that, because ultimately it, it's all about you guys, the fans, the listeners, you know, everybody who's interested to hear what I have to say. I, I couldn't do it without you guys, so from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Have a happy new year, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>